Welcome to this week in surgery your filtered medical journal summary. Looking to stay up to date with the latest medical research but short on time? This week in surgery has you covered. Our podcast provides you with a convenient, on-the-go solution to keep you informed about the most significant developments in the surgical field. We understand that your time is valuable, so we've done the hard work for you. Each episode offers a filtered and concentrated summary of key journal articles, allowing you to stay informed without the need to sift through pages of research papers. With this week in surgery, listening is faster than reading, and you can consume valuable medical knowledge while commuting, exercising, or during your daily routine, including in the operating room. This week in surgery we will be discussing recently published articles. First, Annals of Surgery Safety, Efficacy, and Cost-Effectiveness of Outpatient Surgery for Uncomplicated Acute Appendicitis, the PENDICSI Randomized Clinical Trial Objective To evaluate the safety, efficacy, and cost-effectiveness of outpatient appendectomy in patients with uncomplicated acute appendicitis. Background Given that acute appendicitis is the most common cause of acute abdomen, the introduction of outpatient appendectomy protocols could significantly improve the effectiveness and sustainability of healthcare systems. Methods A total of 300 patients were enrolled from October 2018 to June 2021 in the PENDICSI randomized clinical trial. 149 were assigned to the outpatient surgery, OPS, group and 151 to the inpatient surgery, IPS, group, followed by one month postoperatively. All patients were aged older than 14 years and had uncomplicated acute appendicitis. Exclusion criteria were pregnancy, neoplasms, inflammatory bowel disease, and high anesthetic risk, ASA4. The OPS group was discharged from the post-anesthesia care unit while the IPS group was admitted. Results In total, 128 patients in the OPS group, 85.9%, were discharged without admission. Predictors whether patients in the OPS group had to be admitted were aged over 31 years, relative risk, RR, 2.42, 1.04 to 5.65, hypertension, RR, 6.21, 3.22 to 11.97, anesthetic risk 2.3, RR, 2.63, 1.17 1.1 to 5.94, previous abdominal surgery, RR, 3.34, 1.55 to 7.20, postoperative pain with visual analog scale greater than 6, RR, 4.28, 2.67 6.86, 6, and postoperative fear, RR, 2.2, 1.04 4.67. 2, there were no differences in terms of complications, readmissions, and reinterventions, and the perceived quality was similar in both groups. The outpatient modality produced savings of €1,034.97 per patient, p less than 0.001. Conclusions Outpatient appendectomy is safe and effective for uncomplicated acute appendicitis. Patient perceived quality is similar to that of IPS although it successfully reduces hospital costs compared with inpatient appendectomy. Relationship between distressing symptoms and changes in disability after major surgery among community living older persons. Objectives To evaluate the relationship between distressing symptoms and changes in disability after major surgery and to determine whether this relationship differs according to the timing of surgery, non-elective versus elective, sex, multimorbidity, and socioeconomic disadvantage. Background Major surgery is a common and serious health event that has pronounced deleterious effects on both distressing symptoms and functional outcomes in older persons. Methods From a cohort of 754 community living persons, aged 70 or older, 392 admissions for major surgery were identified from 283 participants who were discharged from the hospital. The occurrence of 15 distressing symptoms and disability in 13 activities were assessed monthly for up to six months after major surgery. Results Over the six-month follow-up period, Each unit increase in the number of distressing symptoms was associated with a 6.4% increase in the number of disabilities, adjusted rate ratio RR, 1.064, 95% C, 1.053, 1.074. The corresponding increases were 4.0%, adjusted RR, 1.040, 95% C, 
and 8.3%, adjusted RR, 1.083, 95% C, 1.066, 1.101, for non-elective and elective surgeries. Based on exposure to multiple, E2 or more, distressing symptoms, the adjusted RRs, 95% C, were for all, non-elective and elective surgeries. Statistically significant associations were observed for each of the other subgroups with the exception of individual-level socioeconomic disadvantage for the number of distressing symptoms. Conclusions Distressing symptoms are independently associated with worsening disability, providing a potential target for improving functional outcomes after major surgery. An analysis of 10,000 cases of living donor liver transplantation in Japan, special reference to the graft versus recipient weight ratio and donor age. Objective. To analyze 10,000 cases of living donor liver transplantation, LDLT, recipient data to elucidate outcomes with special reference to the graft versus recipient weight ratio, GRWR, based on the Japanese Liver Transplantation Society, JLTS, registry. Background. The JLTS registry has been accurate and complete in characterizing and following trends in patient characteristics and survival of all patients with LDLT. Methods Between November 1989 and August 2021, 10,000 patients underwent LDLT in Japan. The procedures performed during the study period included pediatric liver transplantation, age less than 18 years, and equals 3,572 and adult liver transplantation, age greater than or equal to 18 years, and equals 6428. Factors related to patient survival, PS and graft survival, Gs, were also analyzed. Results The GRWR was less than 0.7, 0.7 to less than 0.8, 0.8 to less than 3, 3 to less than 5, and greater than or equal to 5 in 0.2%, 2.0%. 61.8%, 31.8%, and 2.6% of pediatric patients and less than 0.6, 0.6 to less than 0.7, 0.7 to less than 0.8, and greater than or equal to 0.8 and 8.0%, 12.7%, 17.7%, 61.5% of adult patients, respectively. Among pediatric recipients, the PS rate up to 5 years was significantly better in cases with a GRWR less than or equal to 5 than in those with a GRWR greater than 5. When the GRWR and donor age were combined, among adult recipients 50 to 60 years old, the early PS and Gs up to 5 years were significantly better in cases with a GRWR greater than or equal to 0.7, than in those with a GRWR less than 0.7. P equals 0.02. In adults, a multivariate analysis showed that GRWR less than 0.6, transplant era, less than 2011, donor age, greater than 60 years, recipient age, greater than 60 years, model for end-stage liver disease score, greater than or equal to 20, and center volume, less than 10, were significant prognostic factors for long-term PS. Conclusion Although a satisfactory long-term PS and Gs, especially in the recent era, 2011-2021, was achieved in the JLTS series, a GRWR greater than or equal to 5 in pediatric cases and relatively old donors with a GRWR less than 0.7 in adult cases should be managed with caution. Onset pancreatic neuroendocrine tumors, clinical presentation, pathology features, and oncological outcomes. Background Early onset, EO, pancreatic neuroendocrine tumor, PANNET, is a rare disease, but whether it is clinically different from late onset, low, PANNET is unknown. 
Our study aimed to evaluate clinical differences and disease outcomes between EOPAN-NET and LOPAN-NET and to compare sporadic EOPAN-NET with those with a hereditary syndrome. Methods Patients with localized PAN-NET who underwent pancreatectomy at Memorial Sloan Kettering between 2000 and 2017 were identified. Those with metastatic disease and poorly differentiated tumors were excluded. EOPAN-NET was defined as less than 50 and LOPAN-NET greater than 50 years of age at the time of diagnosis. Family history and clinical pathology characteristics were recorded. Results Overall 383 patients were included, 107, 27.9%, with EOPAN-NET. Compared with LOPAN-NET, EOPAN-NET were more likely to have a hereditary syndrome, 2.2% versus 16%, P less than 0.001, but had similar pathology features such as tumor grade, P equals 0.6, size to 2.2 versus 2.3 cm, P equals 0.5, and stage of disease, P equals 0.8. Among patients with EOPAN-NET, those with hereditary syndrome had more frequently a multifocal disease, 65% versus 3.3%, P less than 0.001. With a median follow-up of 70 months, range 0 to 238, the five-year cumulative incidence of recurrence after curative surgery was 19%, 95% C12% to 28%, and 17%, 95% C13% to 23%, in EOPAN-NET and LOPAN-NET, P equals 0.3. Five-year disease-specific survival was 99%, 95% C98% to 100%, with no difference with respect to PAN-NET onset time, P equals 0.26. Conclusions In this surgical cohort, we found that EO-PAN-NET is associated with hereditary syndromes but has pathologic characteristics and oncological outcomes similar to LOPAN-NET. These findings suggest that patients with EO-PAN-NET can be managed similarly to those with LOPAN-NET. Next article is from Journal of American Medical Association Surgery. Hiatal hernia repair with tension-free mesh or crural sutures alone in anti-reflux surgery of 13-year follow-up of a randomized clinical trial. Importance anti-reflux surgery is an effective treatment of gastroesophageal reflux disease, GERD, but the durability of concomitant hiatal hernia repair remains challenging. Previous research reported that the use of a mesh-reinforced, tension-free technique was associated with more dysphagia for solid foods after three years without reducing hiatal hernia recurrence rates compared with crural sutures alone, but the long-term effects of this technique have not been assessed. Objective to assess the long-term anatomical and functional outcomes of using a mesh for hiatal hernia repair in patients with GERT. Design, setting, and participants are double-blind, randomized clinical trial was performed at a single center, Ersta Hospital, Stockholm, Sweden, from January 11, 2006, to December 1, 2010. A total of 159 patients were recruited and randomly assigned. Data for the current analysis were collected from September 1, 2021, to March 31, 2022. All analyses were conducted with the intention to treat population. Interventions closure of the diaphragmatic hiatus with crural sutures alone versus a tension-free technique using a non-absorbable polytetrafluoroethylene mesh, barred Curasoft. The primary outcome was radiologically verified recurrent hiatal hernia after more than 10 years. Results of 145 available patients, follow-up data were obtained from 103, response rate 71%, mean, SD, age at follow-up, 65, 11.3, years. 55, 53%, female, with 53 initially randomly assigned to mesh reinforcement, and 50 to crural suture alone. The mean, SD, follow-up time was 13, 1.1, years. The verified radiologic hiatal hernia recurrence rates were 11 of 29, 38%, in the mesh group versus 11 of 35, 31%, in the suture group, P equals 0.61. However, 13 years postoperatively, Mean, SD, dysphagia scores for solids remain significantly higher in the mesh group, mean, SD, 1.9, 0.7, versus 1.6, 0.9, P equals 0.01.
Conclusions and relevance findings from this long-term follow-up of a randomized clinical trial suggest that tension-free crural repair with non-absorbable mesh does not reduce the incidence of hiatal hernia recurrence 13 years postoperatively. This finding combined with maintained higher dysphagia scores does not support the routine use of tension-free polytetrafluoroethylene mesh closure and laparoscopic hiatal hernia repair for treatment of GERT. Next article is from British Journal of Surgery. Lymphatic venous anastomosis and complex decongestive therapy for lymphedema, randomized clinical trial. Background. Lymphatic venous anastomosis is associated with a low incidence of lower extremity lymphedema-associated cellulitis, however, the exact relationship is unknown. This multicenter RCT evaluated the effect of lymphatic venous anastomosis on prevention of cellulitis. Methods. Patients with secondary lower extremity lymphedema who underwent at least three months of nonoperative decongestive therapy were assigned randomly to lymphatic venous anastomosis or conservative therapy. The primary and secondary outcomes were cellulitis frequency and assessments of circumference, hardness, and pain respectively. Results Overall, 336 patients were divided into two groups, 225 in the full analysis set, primary outcome 225, secondary outcomes 170, and 156 in the per-protocol set, primary outcome 156, secondary outcomes 110. In both analyzes, lymphatic venous anastomosis with nonoperative decongestive therapy was more effective in preventing cellulitis than nonoperative decongestive therapy alone. The difference between groups in reducing cellulitis frequency over six months was minus 0.35, 95% CI minus 0.62 to minus 0.09, P equals 0.010 in the full analysis set, FAS, and minus 0.60, minus 0.94 to minus 0.27, P equals 0.001, in the per-protocol set, PPS, limb circumference and pain were not significantly different, but lymphatic venous anastomosis reduced thigh area hardness, proximal medial and distal and lateral proximal. Four patients experience contact dermatitis with nonoperative decongestive therapy alone. Conclusion Lymphatic venous anastomosis in combination with nonoperative decongestive therapy prevents cellulitis. Nodal positivity in patients with clinically and radiologically node-negative breast cancer treated with neoadjuvant chemotherapy, multicenter collaborative study. Background The necessity of performing a sentinel lymph node biopsy in patients with clinically and radiologically node-negative breast cancer after neoadjuvant chemotherapy has been questioned. The aim of this study was to determine the rate of nodal positivity in these patients and to identify clinical pathological features associated with lymph node metastasis after neoadjuvant chemotherapy at plus. Methods A retrospective multicenter study was performed. Patients with CT13CN0 breast cancer who underwent sentinel lymph node biopsy after neoadjuvant chemotherapy between 2016 and 2021 were included. Negative nodal status was defined as the absence of palpable lymph nodes, and the absence of suspicious nodes on axillary ultrasonography, or the absence of tumor cells on axillary nodal fine needle aspiration or core biopsy. Results A total of 371 patients were analyzed. Overall, 47 patients, 12.7%, had a positive sentinel lymph node biopsy. Nodal positivity was identified in 22 patients, 29.0%, with hormone receptor plus slash human epidermal growth factor receptor 2 minus tumors, 12 patients, 13.8%, with hormone receptor plus slash human epidermal growth factor receptor 2 plus tumors, 3 patients, 5.6%, with hormone receptor minus slash human epidermal growth factor receptor 2 plus tumors, and 10 patients, 6.5%, with triple negative breast cancer. Multivariable logistic regression analysis showed that multicentric disease was associated with a higher likelihood of IPM plus, or 2.66, 95% CI 1.18 to 6.01, P equals 0.018, 
whilst a radiological complete response in the breast was associated with a reduced likelihood of IPM plus, or 0.10, 95% CI 0.02-0.42, P equals 0.002, regardless of molecular subtype. Only 3% of patients who had a radiological complete response in the breast were IPM plus. The majority of patients, 85%, with a positive sentinel node proceeded to axillary lymph node dissection, and 93% had N1 disease. Conclusion The rate of sentinel lymph node positivity in patients who achieve a radiological complete response in the breast is exceptionally low for all molecular subtypes. Risk factors for anastomotic leak in postoperative morbidity after right hemicolectomy for colon cancer, results from a prospective, multi-center, snapshot study in China. Background Right hemicolectomy is the standard treatment for right-sided colon cancer. There is variation in the technical aspects of performing right hemicolectomy as well as in short-term outcomes. It is therefore necessary to explore best clinical practice following right hemicolectomy in expert centers. Methods. This snapshot study of right hemicolectomy for colon cancer in China was a prospective, multi-center cohort study in which 52 tertiary hospitals participated. Eligible patients with stage I3 right-sided colon cancer who underwent elective right hemicolectomy were consecutively enrolled in all centers over 10 months. The primary endpoint was the incidence of postoperative 30-day anastomotic leak. Results. Of the 1854 patients, 89.9% underwent laparoscopic surgery and 52.3% underwent D3 lymph node dissection. The overall 30-day morbidity and mortality were 11.7 and 0.2%, respectively. The 30-day anastomotic leak rate was 1.4%. In multivariate analysis, ASA grade greater than 2, P less than 0.001, intraoperative blood loss greater than 50 ml, P equals 0.044, and D3 lymph node dissection, P equals 0.008, were identified as independent risk factors for postoperative morbidity. Extracorporeal side-to-side anastomosis, P equals 0.031, intraoperative blood loss greater than 50 ml, P equals 0.004, and neoadjuvant chemotherapy, P equals 0.004 were identified as independent risk factors for anastomotic leak. Conclusion In high-volume expert centers in China, laparoscopic resection with D3 lymph node dissection was performed in most patients with right-sided colon cancer, and overall postoperative morbidity and mortality was low. Further studies are needed to explore the optimal technique for right hemicolectomy in order to improve outcomes further. Next article is from Journal of Vascular Surgery. A preoperative supervised exercise program potentially improves long-term survival after elective abdominal aortic aneurysm repair. Objective A preoperative supervised exercise program, SCP, improves cardiorespiratory fitness and perioperative outcomes for patients undergoing elective abdominal aortic aneurysm, AAA, repair. The aim of this study was to assess the effect of a preoperative SEP on long-term survival of these patients. A secondary aim was to consider long-term changes in cardiorespiratory fitness and quality of life. Methods Patients scheduled for open or endovascular AAA repair were previously randomized to either a six-week preoperative SEP or standard management, and a significant improvement in a composite outcome of cardiac pulmonary and renal complications was seen following September for the current analysis, patients were followed up to five years post-surgery. The primary outcome for this analysis was all-cause mortality. Data were analyzed on an intention to treat, ITT, and per protocol, PP, basis, with the latter meaning that patients randomized to SEP who did not attend any sessions were excluded. The PP analysis was further interrogated using a complier average causal effect, CACE, analysis on an all-or-nothing scale, which adjusts for compliance. Additionally, patients who agreed to follow-up attended the Research Center for Cardiopulmonary Exercise Testing and provided quality-of-life measures. Results 
ITT analysis demonstrated that the primary endpoint occurred in 24 of the 124 participants at 5 years, with 8 in the SEP group and 16 in the control group, P equals 0.08. The PP analysis demonstrated a significant survival benefit associated with SEP attendance, 4 versus 16 deaths, P equals 0.01. Case analysis confirmed a significant intervention effect, hazard ratio, 0.36, 95% confidence interval, 0.16 to 0.90, P equals 0.02. There was no difference between groups for cardiorespiratory fitness measures and most quality of life measures. Conclusions These novel findings suggest a long-term mortality benefit for patients attending a SEP prior to elective AAA repair. The underlying mechanism remains unknown, and this merits further investigation. Long-term value in open endovascular repair of chronic mesenteric ischemia. Objective. Guidelines recommend open revascularization or over endovascular revascularization, ER, for the treatment of chronic mesenteric ischemia, CMI, for younger, healthier patients. However, little is known about the long-term costs of these recommendations with respect to patients' overall life expectancy. This study investigated whether five-year value differs between these treatment modalities. Methods Patient data were extracted from the Statewide Planning and Research Cooperative System, the New York Statewide All-Payer Database containing demographics, diagnoses, treatments, and charges. The database was queried for patients with an International Classification of Diseases, 9th Revision, Code for CMI, with the specific exclusion of acute ischemia cases. A propensity score match was performed using the Charlson Comorbidity Index, age, sex, race, renal status, and pulmonary disease for the final cohort of patients. Multiple linear regression and mixed-effects linear regression were used to determine factors associated with 5-year value, calculated as life years $100K in charges. Charges were gathered from the index admission and subsequent admissions for acute or CMI, mesenteric angiography, or follow-up reintervention. Kaplan-Meier estimation was performed for survival and reintervention-free survival. Results. From 2000 to 2014, 875 patients underwent intervention for CMI. Of those meeting inclusion criteria, 209, 28.1%, underwent or in 535, 71.9%, ER. After propensity score matching, N equals 209 in each group. The ER group showed higher value at 5 years after the procedure, 8.04 plus or minus 11.42 life year slash dollar 100k charges versus 4.89 plus or minus 5.28 life year slash dollar 100k charges, p less than 0.01. More patients underwent reintervention in the ER group, 37 patients versus 17 patients, p less than 0.01 with 55 reinterventions in the ER group and 19 in the OR group, P less than 0.01. Multiple linear regression analysis showed that age, congestive heart failure, dysrhythmia, cancer, and days spent in the intensive care unit were negatively associated with value at 5 years, whereas ER was positively associated. Survival was 59.6 plus or minus 3.76% versus 62.3% plus or minus 3.49% at 5 years, P equals 0.91, and reintervention-free survival was 43.7 plus or minus 3.86% versus 58.1 plus or minus 3.53%, P equals 0.04, for ER and or respectively. Conclusions Despite increased reinterventions and lower reintervention-free survival, the value for patients with CMI was higher in those who underwent ER in the largest propensity score-matched cohort to date looking at long-term value. Factors negatively associated with value were or, age, days in intensive care, congestive heart failure, dysrhythmia, and cancer. In patients with amenable anatomy, ER is validated as the first choice treatment for CMI based on the superior procedural value. Systemic immunosuppression does not affect revascularization outcomes in patients with chronic limb-threatening ischemia. Objective 
Many patients with chronic limb-threatening ischemia, CLTI, have additional comorbidities requiring systemic immunosuppression. Few studies have analyzed whether these medications may inhibit graft integration and effectiveness, or conversely, whether they may prevent inflammation and or restenosis. Therefore, our study aim was to examine the effect of systemic immunosuppression versus no immunosuppression on outcomes after any first-time lower extremity revascularization for CLTI. Results Among 1,312 patients, 667, 51%, underwent BPG and 651, 49%, underwent PTA-S, of whom 65, 10%, and 95, 15%, were on systemic immunosuppression therapy, respectively. Whether assessing BPG or PTA-S patients, there were no differences noted in perioperative outcomes, including perioperative mortality, myocardial infarction, stroke, hematoma, or surgical site infection, P greater than 0.05. For BPG patients, Kaplan-Meier analysis and log rank testing demonstrated no significant difference in three-year reintervention, 37% versus 33%, control, P equals 0.75, major amputation, 27% versus 15%, P equals 0.64, or primary patency, 72% versus 66%, P equals 0.35, rates. Multivariate analysis via Cox regression confirmed these findings, immunosuppression hazard ratio, HR, for re-intervention, 0.95, 95% C, 0.56 to 1.60, P equals 0.85, for major amputation, HR, 1.44, 95% C, 0.70 to 2.96, P equals 0.32, and for primary patency. HR, 0.97, 95% C, 0.69 to 1.38, P equals 0.88. For PTA-S patients, univariate analysis revealed similar rates of re-intervention, 37% versus 39%, control, P equals 0.57, and primary patency, 59% versus 63%, P equals 0.21. However, immunosuppressed patients had higher rates of major amputation, 23% versus 12%, P equals 0.01. After using Cox regression to adjust for baseline demographics, as well as operative and anatomic characteristics, immunosuppression was not associated with any differences in re-intervention, HR, 0.75, 95% C, 0.49 to 1.16, P equals 0.20, major amputation, HR, 1.46, 95% C, 0.81 to 2.62, P equals 0.20 or primary patency, HR, 0.84, 95% C, 0.59 to 1.19, P equals 0.32. Sensitivity analyzes for the differences in makeup of immunosuppression regimens, steroids versus other classes, did not alter the interpretation of any findings in either BPG or PTA-S cohorts. Conclusions Our findings demonstrate that patients with chronic systemic immunosuppression, as compared with those who are not immunosuppressed, does not have a significant effect on late outcomes after lower extremity revascularization, as measured by primary patency, re-intervention or major amputation. Next article is from Surgical Endoscopy. Laparoscopic right hemicolectomy, ascise, Societa Italiana di Chirurgia Endoscopica e Nuove Technology, Network Perspective Study on the Approach to Right Colon Lymphadenectomy in Italy, Is There a Standard? CODIG2, colon DX Italian Group Background Colon cancer is a disease with a worldwide spread. Surgery is the best option for the treatment of advanced colon cancer, but some aspects are still debated, such as the extent of lymphadenectomy. In Japanese guidelines, the gold standard was D3 dissection to remove the central lymph nodes, 203, 213, and 223, but in 2009, Holmberger et al., introduced the concept of complete mesocolic excision, in which surgical dissection follows the embryological planes to remove the mesentery entirely to prevent leakage of cancer cells and collect more lymph nodes. 
Our study describes how lymphadenectomy is currently performed in major Italian centers with an unclear indication on the type of lymphadenectomy that should be performed during right hemicolectomy, RH. Methods CODIG2 is an observational multicenter national study that involves 76 Italian general surgery wards highly specialized in colorectal surgery. Each center was asked not to modify their usual surgical and clinical practices. The aim of the study was to assess the preference of Italian surgeons on the type of lymphadenectomy to perform during RH and the rise of any new trends or modifications in habits compared to the findings of the CODIG1 study conducted four years ago. Results A total of 788 patients were enrolled. The most commonly used surgical technique was laparoscopic, 82.1%, with intracorporeal, 73.4%, side-to-side, 98.7%, or isoperistaltic, 96.0%, anastomosis. The lymph nodes at the origin of the vessels were harvested in an inferior number of cases, 203, 213, and 223, 42.4%, 31.1%, and 20.3%, respectively. A comparison between CODIG1 and CODIG2 showed a stable trend in surgical techniques and complications, with an increase in the robotic approach, 7.7% versus 12.3%. Conclusions This analysis shows how lymphadenectomy is performed in Italy to achieve oncological outcomes in RH, although the technique to achieve a higher lymph node count has not yet been standardized. Next article is from Annals of Surgical Oncology. A three-year survival update from a phase two study of paclitaxel plus cisplatin and 5-furouracil induction chemotherapy for locally advanced borderline resectable esophageal squamous cell carcinoma, the Neocritec 1601 clinical trial. Background This study updated three-year analyzes to further characterize the impact of docetaxel, cisplatin, and fluoracil, TPF, chemotherapy followed by surgery. Methods This study was a single-center phase 2 clinical trial. Patients with a diagnosis of borderline resectable esophageal squamous cell carcinoma, BRESCC, because of the primary tumor or bulky lymph node that potentially invaded adjacent organs were eligible. The treatment started with TPF chemotherapy followed by surgery if the cancer was resectable, or by concurrent chemo radiation if it was unresectable. This updated report presents the three-year overall survival, OS, and progression-free survival, PFS, rates. Results Surgery was performed for 27 patients, 57.4%, and R0 resection was confirmed in 25 patients, 53.2%. Pathologic complete response was confirmed in 4 patients, 8.5%. The median follow-up time for the surviving patients was 44.8 months, range, 3.4 3.4 to 74.6 months. The median OS for all the patients was 41.9 months, 95% confidence interval, C, 18.6 to 65.3 months, with a median PFS of 38.7 months, 95% C, 23.5 to 53.9 months. The three-year survival rate for all the patients was 54.4%. The three-year survival rate for the R0 patients was 65.4%. Conclusion Long-term follow-up evaluation confirmed that TPF followed by surgery is feasible and promising in terms of survival for BRESCC patients. Next article is from Obesity Surgery. One anastomosis gastric bypass as revisional surgery following sleeve gastrectomy, a systematic review and meta-analysis. Background Although sleeve gastrectomy, SG, is the most performed metabolic and bariatric surgery, MBS, worldwide, some patients require conversional procedures due to weight recurrence or late complications. Recently, one anastomosis gastric bypass, OAGB, gained popularity as a viable option to address those problems. The aim of this meta-analysis is to assess the safety and efficacy of conversional OGB after primary SG in the management of patients with obesity. Methods Cochrane, Embase, PubMed, 
Scopus, and Web of Science were searched for articles from their inception to February 2023 by two independent reviewers using the preferred reporting items for systematic reviews and meta-analysis, Prisma, system. The review was registered prospectively with Prospero, CRD 42023403528. Results From 1,117 studies screened, 20 studies met the eligibility criteria, with a total of 1,057 patients with obesity undergoing conversional OGB after primary SG. The mean age ranged from 28.2 to 49.5 years, and 744 patients, 75.2% were women. At one year after revisional OGB, the pooled mean percent excess weight loss, percent EWL, was 65.2%, 95% C, 56.9%, 73.4, I2 equals 97%. The pooled mean percent EWL after conversional OGB was 71.1%, 95% C, 62.2, 80.0, I2 equals 90%, at 2 years and 71.6%, 95% C, 61.0, 82.2, I2 equals 50%, at 5 years. Additionally, Resolution rates of diabetes and hypertension were 65.4%, 95% C, 0.522, 0.785, I2 equals 65%, and 58.9%, 95% C, 0.415, 0.762, I2 equals 89%, respectively. Conclusions our meta-analysis demonstrated OGB is an effective conversional procedure after primary SG in terms of weight loss and obesity-associated medical problems for selected patients. Despite the promising results, further randomized controlled studies with larger sample sizes and more extended follow-up periods are necessary to determine if the OGB is the best conversional surgery after SG. Next article is from International Journal of Surgery. Age-dependent benefit of neoadjuvant treatment in adenocarcinoma of the esophagus and gastroesophageal junction, a multicenter retrospective observational study of young versus old patients. Objectives. The objective was to provide evidence for age-dependent use of neoadjuvant treatment by clinical comparisons of young, lower quartile, less than 56.6 years, versus old, upper quartile, greater than 71.3 years, patients with esophageal and esophagogastric junction adenocarcinoma. Background Neoadjuvant treatment is the standard of care for locally advanced and node-positive EEC. However, the effect of age on oncological outcomes is disputable as they are underrepresented in treatment-defining randomized controlled trials. Methods Patients with EEC undergoing esophagectomy between 2001 and 2022 were retrospectively analyzed from three centers. Patients having distant metastases or clinical UX stage I were excluded. Cox proportional hazards regression was used to identify the variables associated with survival benefit. Results Neoadjuvant treatment was administered to 185-248, young and 151 out of 248. 60.9%, elderly patients, P equals 0.001. Young age was associated with a significant overall survival, OS, benefit, median OS, 85.6 versus 29.9 months, hazard ratio 0.62, 95% C, 0.42 to 0.92, after neoadjuvant treatment versus surgery alone. In contrast, Elderly patients did only experience a survival benefit equaling the length of neoadjuvant treatment itself, median OS, neoadjuvant 32.8 versus surgery alone 29.3 months, hazard ratio 0.89, 95% C, 0.63-1.27. Despite the clear difference in median OS benefit, histopathological regression was similar, Mandard TRG half, young 30.7 versus old 36.4%, P equals 0.286. More elderly patients had a dose reduction or termination of neoadjuvant treatment, 12.4 versus 40.4%, P less than 0.001. Conclusion Old patients benefit less from neoadjuvant treatment compared to younger patients in terms of gain in OS. 
since they also experience more side effects requiring dose reduction, upfront surgery should be considered as the primary treatment option in elderly patients. Next article is from Journal of the American College of Surgeons. Clinical Utility of Melanoma Sentinel Lymph Node Biopsy Nomograms Background For patients with melanoma, the decision to perform sentinel lymph node biopsy, SLNB, is based on the estimated risk of lymph node metastasis. We assess three melanoma SLNB risk prediction models' statistical performance and their ability to improve clinical decision-making, clinical utility, on a cohort of melanoma SLNB cases. Study Design Melanoma patients undergoing SLNB at a single center from 2003 to 2021 were identified. The predicted probabilities of sentinel lymph node positivity using the Melanoma Institute of Australia, Memorial Sloan Kettering Cancer Center, MSK, and Friedman nomograms were calculated. Receiver operating characteristic and calibration curves were generated. Clinical utility was assessed via decision curve analysis, calculating the net SLNBs that could have been avoided had a given model guided selection at different risk thresholds. Results Of 2,464 melanoma cases that underwent SLNB, 567, 23.0%, had a positive sentinel lymph node. The areas under the receiver operating characteristic curves for the Melanoma Institute of Australia, MSK and Friedman models were 0.726, 95% C, 0.702-0.750-0.720-95% C, 0.697-0.744 and 0.721, 95% C, 0.699-0.744 respectively. For all models, calibration was best at predicted positivity rates below 30%. The MSK model under predicted risk. At a 10% risk threshold, only the Friedman model would correctly avoid a net of 6.2 SLNBs per 100 patients. The other models did not reduce net avoidable SLNBs at risk thresholds of less than or equal to 10%. Conclusions The tested nomograms had comparable performance in our cohort. The only model that achieved clinical utility at risk thresholds of less than or equal to 10% was the Friedman model. Effective surgery on postoperative levels of the gut homeostasis regulating enzyme intestinal alkaline phosphatase. Background Intestinal homeostasis is a crucial factor for complication free short and long term postoperative recovery. The brush border enzyme intestinal alkaline phosphatase, IAP, is an important regulator of gut barrier function and intestinal homeostasis and prevents endotoxemia by detoxifying lipopolysaccharides, LPSs. As IAP is predominantly secreted by enterocytes in the duodenum, we hypothesize that pancreatic duodenectomy PD, leads to a significantly stronger decrease in IAP than other major abdominal surgery. Study Design Pre- and postoperative blood, stool, and intestinal samples were collected from patients undergoing PD, as well as other major surgical procedures without duodenectomy. The samples were analyzed using enzyme histochemistry, the paranitrophenyl phosphate method for IAP, and the limulus amoebocyte lysate assay for LPs. Results Overall, 88 patients were prospectively enrolled in the study. Fecal IAP activity negatively correlated with serum LPs, R equals minus 0.3603, P equals 0.0006. PD led to a significant decline in IAP compared to preoperative baseline levels, P less than 0.0001. The decline in IAP correlated with the length of proximal small intestinal resection, R equals 0.4271, P equals 0.0034. Compared to controls, PD was associated with a much more pronounced reduction in IAP, also after adjusting for surgical trauma, operative time, blood loss, R equals 0.4598, P equals 0.0086. Simultaneously, PD triggered a clearly more prominent increase in serum LPs compared to controls, P equals 0.0001.
Increased postoperative LPs was associated with an elongated hospitalization, R equals 0.7534, P equals 0.0062, and more prominent in pancreatic cancer, P equals 0.0009. Conclusions Based upon the functional roles for IAP, supplementation with exogenous IAP might be a new treatment option to improve short and long-term outcome after PD. Innovative combination treatment to expand the indications of particle therapy, spacer placement surgery using bioabsorbable polyglycolic acid spacer. Background Particle therapy has favorable dose distribution and high curability. However, radiotherapy for malignant tumors adjacent to the gastrointestinal tract is contraindicated owing to its low tolerance. To overcome this, Combination treatment with surgery to make a space between the tumor and adjacent gastrointestinal tract followed by particle therapy has been developed. Several materials have been used for the spacer and recently, we developed the absorbable polyglycolic acid, PGA, spacer, which has been used since 2019. This study is the first report of consecutive case series of spacer placement surgery using the PGA spacer. Study Design 50 consecutive patients undergoing spacer placement surgery with a PGA spacer were evaluated. Postoperative laboratory data, morbidity related to the treatment and spacer volume after treatment were evaluated. Results There were no treatment-related deaths, and all but two patients completed combination treatment. The median ratios of postoperative PGA spacer volume to the pretreatment volume were 96.9%, 87.7%, and 74.6% at weeks 2, 4, and 8, respectively. The spacer volume was maintained at 80% at 7 weeks and was predicted to be 50% at 15 weeks and 20% in 24 weeks. Conclusions Spacer placement surgery using the PGA spacer was feasible and tolerable. The PGA spacers maintained sufficient thickness during the duration of subsequent particle therapy. Combination treatment using the PGA spacer is innovative and has the potential to become a new standard curative local treatment. Next article is from Journal of Trauma and Acute Care Surgery. Would you be surprised? Prospective multicenter study of the surprise question is a screening tool to predict mortality in trauma patients. Background. The surprise question, square, would I be surprised if the patient died within the next year? Is a validated tool used to identify patients with limited life expectancy. Because it may have potential to expedite palliative care interventions per American College of Surgeons Trauma Quality Improvement Program Palliative Care Best Practices Guidelines, we sought to determine if trauma team members could use the square to accurately predict one-year mortality in trauma patients. Methods. A multicenter, prospective, cohort study collected data, August 2020 to February 2021, on trauma team members' responses to the square at 24 hours from admission. One-year mortality was obtained via Social Security Death Index records. Positive-slash-negative predictive values and accuracy were calculated overall, by provider role and by patient age. Results 10 Level I-2 centers enrolled 1,172 patients, 87.9% blunt. The median age was 57 years, interquartile range, 36 to 74 years, and the median injury severity score was 10, interquartile range, 5 to 14 years. Overall one-year mortality was 13.3%. Positive predictive value was low, 30.5%, regardless of role. Mortality prediction minimally improved as age increased, positive predictive value highest between 65 and 74 years old, 34.5%, but consistently trended to overprediction of death, even in younger patients. Conclusion Trauma team members' ability to forecast one-year mortality using the square at 24 hours appears limited perhaps because of overestimation of injury effects, pre-injury conditions, and our team bias. This has implications for the Trauma Quality Improvement Program guidelines and suggests that more research is needed to determine the optimal time to screen trauma patients with a square.
Next article is from the American Journal of Surgery. The Power of Partnership, Exploring Collaboration Dynamics in U.S. Transplant Research Introduction Collaboration is one of the hallmarks of academic research. This study analyzes collaboration patterns in U.S. transplant research, examining publication trends, productive institutions, co-authorship networks, and citation patterns in high-impact transplant journals. Methods 4,265 articles published between 2012 and 2021 were analyzed using scientometric tools, logistic regression, vantage point software, and Gephi software for network visualization. Results 16,003 authors from 1,011 institutions and 59 countries were identified, with Harvard, Johns Hopkins, and University of Pennsylvania contributing the most papers. Odds of international collaboration significantly increased over time, or 1.03, p equals 0.040, while odds of citation and single institution collaborations decreased, or 0.99, p equals 0.016. Five major scientific communities and central institutions, Harvard University and University of Pittsburgh, connecting them were identified, revealing interconnected research clusters. Conclusions Collaboration enhances knowledge exchange and research productivity, with an increasing trend of institutional and international collaboration in U.S. transplant research. Understanding this community is essential for promoting research impact and forming strategic partnerships. Quality of Breast Surgery Care at a Comprehensive Cancer Center and its Rural Affiliate Hospital Background Cancer centers are increasingly affiliating with rural hospitals to perform surgery. Perioperative and oncologic outcomes for cancer center surgeons operating at rural hospitals are understudied. Methods For patients with non-metastatic breast cancer from a rural catchment area who had oncologic surgery at an NCI-designated Comprehensive Cancer Center, CC, or its rural affiliate, RA, from 2017 to 2022, we compared perioperative outcomes, composite of surgical site infection, seroma requiring drainage, and reoperation for margins, and receipt of guideline concordant care, if patient received all applicable treatments, using descriptive statistics and chi-square tests. Results. Among 168 patients, 99 had surgery at RA, 60 CC. RA patients were older, higher stage, and more often had lumpectomy. There were no differences in perioperative outcomes, CC 10%, RA 14%, P equals 0.445, or guideline concordant care, RA 76%, CC 78%, P equals 0.846. Conclusions Cancer center surgeons operating at a rural affiliate had comparable perioperative outcomes and guideline concordant care. Decreasing utilization of surgical interventions amongst patients with pancreatic neuroendocrine tumor with liver metastases. Background Since 2013, North American Neuroendocrine Tumor Society, NANETS, consensus guidelines have endorsed consideration of surgical intervention for pancreatic neuroendocrine tumors, PNET, with liver metastases. Methods Patients with non-functional with liver-only metastases from 2010 to 2019 were identified from the National Cancer Database. Results 34.7% underwent surgical intervention, 13% resection, 2.1% surgical management of liver metastases, SMLM, 19.5% resection plus SMLM. In multivariable analysis, government insurance, year of diagnosis greater than 2013, Increasing primary tumor size were associated with lower rate of surgical intervention. Receiving treatment at an academic center, or 3.59, 95% C1.81 to 7.11, P less than 0.001, or Integrated Cancer Network, or 3.21, 95% C1.57 to 6.54, P equals 0.001, was associated with a higher rate of surgical intervention. The overall rate of surgical intervention decreased from 45.7% in 2010 to 23.0% in 2019.
Conclusion Despite guideline recommendations and the suggested survival benefits, only one-third of patients underwent surgical intervention, potentially influenced by the rising utilization of systemic therapy in the past decade. Thank you for listening to this week in surgery, your filtered medical journal summary. Have a great week ahead, stay blessed and be humane.